Let's Talk PR and More. Public relations, media, publicity, integrated communications, marketing, digital, reputation management, and more. Let's Talk PR and More with award-winning PR strategist, Sherry Goldman. I'm Sherry Goldman, president of Goldman Communications Group, and welcome to Let's Talk PR and More. My guest today is Mark McLennan. Mark is the general manager of the Boston office of C plus C, a communications agency that helps good causes and purpose-driven brands. He is also the host of EthicalVoices.com, a weekly blog and podcast on PR ethics. He's the author of the book, Ethical Voices, Practicing Public Relations with Integrity, teaches PR ethics at Boston University, and is a past national chair of the Public Relations Society of America. Earlier this year, Mark co-led the development of the PR Council's ethic guidelines on generative artificial intelligence. So I can think of no one better to discuss the ethics of PR and artificial intelligence than Mark. So Mark, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. It is so great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's talk ethics, probably one of the hottest topics today in PR and politics and everywhere, and becoming so much more critical with the explosion of artificial intelligence and AI's use in public relations, advertising, social media, and more. I was reading the preamble of the council's guidelines on generative AI, and it says generative AI is predicted to become a transformational technology and may be increasingly useful and valuable tool for PR professionals. So we could either use it responsibly or irresponsibly, right? So what's responsible use of AI? Well, that's a lot. That's a big question. Okay, we and, have, and by we the have way, lots of time to talk. That's good. I mean, and by the way, it's really interesting. We are currently updating our preamble and some of the elements of uh, the PR Council's guidelines AI ethics because things have changed since we introduced that in March. Wow. And there's been a couple of big sea changes that we think are important enough for us to update and revise. You know, when it comes to wherever you are, I'd say it, when it comes to AI and ethics in public relations, the, the default that I always go to is transparency. Okay. And the other point I always say is you need to make sure you understand what is best for your organization. Because there are some things that we may recommend that you may decide you're not comfortable with. There are some things that you may be comfortable with that, as an organization, we don't like. And a couple of examples there, I was speaking to the healthcare communicators of Kansas City. With the HIPAA regulations, they have to take privacy in um, personally identifiable information even more carefully than others. Right. And at C plus C, when it comes to transcreation, which a lot of people are using AI for, we absolutely do not want to use it in any way, shape, or form for translation because of the biases that we believe could be inherent in the system. So, you know, that's the thing is you got to find what's good for you. But if you're taking a step back when it comes to AI, there's kind of a couple of key things to keep in mind. One, you need to protect confidentiality. There are some sandbox and private tools to use, things like you're getting in Adobe and others. But in the end, make sure you're not putting confidential information, paid reports, PII, business plans, unannounced news releases into ChatGPT or other generative AI tool. Why? It can be used to eventually train this material. So if you're taking a $10,000 analyst report, having it summarized, you're guilty of putting that $10,000 analyst report out there in the public domain eventually. 
Can I say something? I didn't realize that till I read the guidelines and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, had never thought of it that way. That you're actually, if you're using it, you're you're breaking your confidentiality rules by putting things up there and everything. And I think most people don't think about that. Well, and now why you three point five and others have a version which is kind of like Google incognito mode, which you can possibly use. ChatGPT also rolled out on August 28th. They announced they're coming up with a sandbox version for companies to use where the model will be unique to them and not used to train a large language model. I've asked them what the pricing is. They haven't gotten back to me, so I'm guessing C plus C isn't big enough. Down the road, it'll be an important point there. What you can do, though, when you're thinking about this, though, is if you still want to use it, is one, anonymize it, right? Rip out the name, company X, things of that nature. So I think you've got some use potentially there. And also realize you're not it's not gonna happen overnight. They update their models a few times a year. It'll get worked in there from that point on. So I think that's kind of a key point um, where you have elements there is anything you put into it will eventually potentially get into the public domain. So I think confidentiality is a key one. The second big issue when it comes to ethical usage is respecting IP. And there's a lot of debate on this one, but in the end, you want to make sure you're respecting the rights of other creators. So you don't want to say, I want you to create, if you're going to one of the generative AI image creators, I want you to create a picture just like Andy Warhol, because you may be infringing upon some of his IP because it may use it overall. You also have to be careful about using, you know, something like 11 Labs, which is an awesome tool. And I love it. And it scares the heck out of me at the same time. I must admit, because, I don't know so, what it is. So tell me what it is. Go visit it. Okay. For five bucks a month, you can put in an audio sample. So you can take the audio of Mark, even though this isn't quite like me because I'm hoarse from being sick, but put an audio file of me, and it will create a deep fake AI voice that sounds just like Mark McClellan with my mannerisms, my words, whatever else is going on. And if you use the pro version, it's indistinguishable from the real person. So A, for about, sure, I've been doing anti-fraud most of my career. It terrifies me when it comes to security and fraud. But it's a great tool that we can also use to kind of help with creating content or working with legal. If you're doing it for legal review only and you've got an agreement with a talent, you need to change a couple of words. The talent can't review it until later. Can you use that generative AI to make the change for legal to sign off? And then you have the talent re-record it and do it and pay them appropriately. You know, there's tools like that that are out there and you got to be careful about that. And the law on IP is very gray right now. It's becoming clear. There's been some cases that say you can't own it if the IP is created solely by AI. My guidance to any PR person is you don't want to be the test case. It's expensive, and it gets, takes a lot of time out of your day. But somebody else fall and have a test case, and then we can decide to evolve it based on that. But you got to really make sure you're looking at the being um, protecting AI. The next kind of guideline that the council gave and I believe in is making sure you're using it as drafts only. You know, don't put something in and then run with it and go. It, it needs to be edited, just like anything else we're doing, um, both from IP perspective as well as overall, just having the best quality product. You know, I think I've, I've used generative AI to improve my writing. I do it on a regular basis, but I always look at its recommendations and I take some and I don't take others. So when you say to improve your writing, what are you using it for? You're giving it something and saying, tweak it for this audience and that kind of thing? Uh, tweak it for this audience? How can I say this more succinctly? Okay. 
um, when I was working on my son's financial aid appeal letter because I wanted to get more money from his college. <laughs> and I've never written a financial aid appeal letter in my life. I was saying, here's the school that's selective, here's the background, make this more attractive to a financial aid officer. And it gave me a couple of good terms of phrase that I used. And he got more money. So I don't know whether it's me or whether it's that. But I, I use that as a resource to help me in that regard. I was talking to somebody else recently, and this gets more into prompt engineering, which is a whole nother discussion. And I do a ton of trainings for organizations around prompt engineering. But if you're a healthcare organization or others, you have to write things at a sixth grade reading level. So what you can do is take your content that's in there and then say, rewrite this at a sixth grade reading level. And it's going to make it more digestible and more understandable. It's going to make it easier to understand, and it's going to um, make sure you're maintaining what you need to do legally as well. Do you think it's replacing PR people? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, what I believe AI is, and I'm stealing this from somebody else who's who said it is much smarter than me overall, is AI is the electricity. It is going to be helping us overall do so many things so much better. You know, it is going to help us in some areas automate a lot of the key things we haven't liked to do in the past, but it's still going to need, at least for the near future to mid-future, it's going to need human input to make it better. You know, as, as it was Andrew Engen from Coursera talked about, AI is the new electricity. This is 100 years ago, electricity transformed industry after industry. You know, manufacturing wasn't eliminated, it got better. AI is gonna do the same thing for us, and it's up to us to harness it and direct it. And that's why I really believe, if I'm taking any takeaways from this, you gotta get involved and use it. You can't wait for it to go away, it's never going away. This is not a flash in the pan. This is something you need to look at using to be informed of. It's like if you decided to ignore social media or ignore the web back in the 90s. Uh, while we're on a different tangent, the two other things I talk about is one, Establish an AI council to decide what's the right level for your organization. And three, make sure you're updating your crisis plans to include AI and deep fakes. This is the thing that scares the crap wow. out of me more than almost anything else. But think about how easy it is to create deep fakes now. And we think about it in terms of politics. I was just going to say, yeah, politics. I look at it from a corporate point of view. I've, I've worked over the years with some of the most shorted companies in America. If somebody could have a deep fake of the CEO of that company saying racist, misogynistic things and saying how we like to kick puppies, um, and that gets spread out everywhere, their stock's going to drop and somebody's going to make a ton of money on it. You know, it is easier than ever to create fake images, fake video, fake audio. And how are you doing that when a bad actor decides to use that against you from a corporate point of view? And that, that's one of the things that really, really scares me. I'm not sure there's a great solution yet. I was just going to ask, how can we figure that out? I know that I read a recent AP article and said Google's going to require AI notice on political ads to make sure it's real and all that. But I don't even know that that would be effective. I I don't know if it is either. I mean, and so technology is going to help fight it. But I'm worried about the divide because that means the big companies and the big agencies are going to have access to the technology. What's going to happen to the small organizations, the small businesses that suddenly – you know, it's a small restaurant that, you know, somebody decides they don't like for whatever reason and starts doing some negative things. And how can they find out and prove it? You're already playing defense. I mean, look at the example I love to give is the Pope in the puffy coat for 1600 bucks. I mean, A, it's a great image. People recognize it. It's fake, but it looks real. The Vatican's PR team had to spend hours and, you know, days dealing with that. So even if you're saying, you know what, nobody believes it, it's taking you away from what you want to do. So 
you know, while those are some of the negatives, I mean, keep in mind, there are so many positives of what you can do with AI. Don't, you know, while we're kind of setting the guardrails, right. there are so many elements where I recommend people use it. Don't be afraid. It's just like any other tool. Because email is a great tool, but it can be used for good and evil. You know, social media is a great tool that can be used for good or for evil. The web, the same sort of thing that's going on there. You know, this is going to be another tool. And it's going to be up to us to train our ethical minds to make sure we are using it as ethically as possible. Our clients are using it as ethically as possible. Our subcontractors are using it as ethically as possible because there's reputational risk in all of those buckets. And how do we do that? That was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. How do we do that? And and does it start with ethics training at companies and training clients? Does it? How do we do that? Absolutely. That? I mean, I think... It's a great question, and it's something that I, it's a passion of mine. You know, P, PRSA has Ethics Month. In in the end, I'm not a huge fan. I think Ethics Month is great, but that's missing missing the point. Because if you go to the gym once a year, you're not going to have a great body. If you take vitamins once a year, you're not going to be healthy. You know, so there's a couple of things we need to do. We need to, one, do regular training with our staff. And two, we need to make it part of our hiring process. When you're interviewing potential employees, you're interviewing clients, you're interviewing all that elements, you know, ask the great questions. We all start talking about, um, you know, we ask about history, results, all those things. Do you put a new potential new hire to talk about scenarios, about layoffs or conflicts where they can just demonstrate their ethical reasoning? You know, Patrice Tanaka, who's a good friend of mine, I love oh, her. I she love brought her. Up, her. Asked, I'm going to talk to her on the show in a few weeks, but I love Patrice. I've known her forever. You know, I ask every guest on Ethical Voices, what's the best ethical advice you ever received? And, and she talks about, she has one great piece of advice, but she also talks about on interviews. She asks folks, what's your purpose in life? And about half the folks looking at her like a deer in the headlight and she moves on. But the rest you can think about people, are they looking at it from a personal from an organizational, from a societal point of view. So you can understand, you know, making sure you're hiring the right people, both for your company and for your partners. But hiring is just the first step. I mean, when it comes to it, there's a whole bunch of psychology, which we can get into later, about why people tend to make selfish decisions. But what I really believe is we need to have and condition employees' minds to use the ethics prism. You know, make it part of your communication meetings at least twice a month. Make sure it's not just for the comms team, flag things to the executives. Make sure you're involving both the agency and the client because both of them can have, need to be aware of this and can cause reputational risk. And when I say have these discussions, what do you do? You know, and I do this, I teach ethics at Boston University. And I teach ethics, at, well, not, I teach a class in ethics in my intro to PR thing. So I'm interested in what you're doing because I teach a one day. So, so I have a whole semester. Yeah. Right, no, I know. And, and we do the once a week, three hour course. Um, so it's always fun Wednesday night. But what we discuss for the first half an hour is what are the recent ethical communications issues you've seen? And we never, ever, ever run out of things to talk about. <laughs> so what I say on these meetings is highlight a situation you've seen of a recent ethical misstep. Ask folks if they saw it and what they thought. If you're the manager, do not give your opinion until the end. Let the discussion flow freely. Have others bring examples that they see. And what that's going to help you do is make sure your staff starts thinking ethics first. It's going to help them understand the importance you put on ethics. And frankly, it might uncover issues you haven't considered. And, you know, that's what I love with the students is they bring a perspective 
I'm a proud Gen Xer and come from a certain area. You know, the students come from a different, different, you know, generation, right. different geographies. I love my international students bringing up international issues that they're dealing with. You know, and that's a way is have these discussions to really make sure you're doing it all the time. You know, and then also look at things like common scenarios. If you're running out of things, start asking folks about the common ethical challenges you may face. You know, you're asked to lie. You're asked to, um, you know, play games with your timesheets. What happens when your boss and your boss's boss disagree? What happens when somebody's telling you to promote something and you can't be sure what the data is? What happens if somebody's making an environmental claim and you want to make sure you're being, not being accused of greenwashing? You can have all of these great discussions. And people get excited about it, though. And that's the key thing is get people thinking and talking about it, because the more they do that, when you look at people like you and me, we've been doing this for a while. People think we're pretty smart when they hear us and we give advice. (laughs) Yes, it's because we are. But it's also because we've been doing doing this for almost 30 years. I have screwed up so many times and seen so many other people screw up that I know what not to do in some cases. Absolutely. So I learn more from my failures helping. and sometimes than, Absolutely. than you know. And so this helps us, if you think about it, you're helping folks look at those failures so they don't have to go through it themselves. This is an and HR that's where thing. You really, if you, but we have to empower yeah. people to be able to make those ethical decisions. Because I even see that one day in my class when I run scenarios with students, they're like, well, but if I needed the job, would I still, you know, maybe I would. I'm like, no, that's not ethical. But it's a, but it's a fact of life. It is. I mean, but we have I to was... empower them. And I get that they need jobs. So, you know, that may be why they do one thing is versus something else. Or I get that they're fearful. So I think this has to be empowering people and understanding that's a path. And it's it's going to be a challenge, I think, more so. I do, and I think for young professionals, there are two pieces of advice that I usually give and I've seen. One is, if you're not feeling comfortable, find an ally within the organization who's more senior who can. If they're going to discount me because I'm junior, talk to somebody senior. And two, Michael Smart, uh, who was one of my guests on Ethical Voices, the advice I probably share the most is the advice he got from a teacher at BYU is establish a freedom fund. And it's tough to do when you're younger. But make sure you're saving money so you have six months of, mo- of salary saved somewhere. So salary becomes less of a roadblock when you're thinking about making a potentially um, painful ethical decision. Long term, you will always benefit by doing the right thing. Short term, there may be pain. And if you have the money saved so you can make the right call, you're going to reduce that pain. Makes sense to me. All good advice. All good advice. Um you know, when I think about the ethics and, and going back to AI and stuff, and I've seen this in my classroom, I'm not sure students aren't using that to write their assignments. I teach PR writing, and I'm like, uh, stuff was a little too similar by too many students. How do we teach them how to use AI responsibly? How do we teach PR professionals who may be in the industry 20 years how to use AI responsibly and ethically? I should say more ethically than responsibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's conducting workshops. It's talking about it. It's setting the ground rules. Okay. In my class, I don't care if my students use AI. Go ahead. Uh, it's a tool out there. They're using the web to search things out overall. They can't use it on a test. You know, and if I was teaching a PR writing class, I'd have some concerns about it. And I'd say, you know, if you're doing that, let's close it. And I can then make my judgment based on what's going on there. So, I mean, it's understanding, you know, 
where it's appropriate to use what are the biases, which we didn't even get into, what is the accuracy of it. Um, there's other issues around that, that, you know, AI is the best liar out there because it is so convinced it is correct. You know, we all, and we all say things that are incorrect with a passion that we believe is right. So it's, it's cute like humans in that case, but you need to make sure you're teaching folks to source data. You know, there's been a rise. I was talking to one UK publication that was saying there's been a rise of people asking for specific articles because AI is saying, here's the article written by this reporter on this date. And it was something a reporter would have written, but it's not something they did. <gasps> so you need to kind of source it down to a second or third level of things and understand what's going on there. I mean, according to ChatGPT, as of a while ago, I was PR News' 2022 Woman of the Year. Congratulations. I, That's fabulous. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm deeply honored by the award I never won. But, <laughs> I mean, it, it says it's there. To, I mean, if, I think there's some question that's pretty obvious there, but other things, you really got to make sure you're double-checking things. Any claims, any data points. You know, I don't mind if they're using it as a starting point. I mean, you can use prompts to write me a 30-second PSA. Help me come up with 20 different, you know, subjects for my pitch letter. You know, use it as an aid to brainstorming. You know, th there's a lot of ways you can use it responsibly. Use it as kind of a trusted companion. What should I be asking that I'm not? You know, th there's a lot of elements that you can really integrate it into your day to make yourself more effective. You just need to make sure you're being transparent and you're aware of the biases and you're double-checking your actions and you're not passing off the work as your work when it may not be your work. So two things. You say transparent. Does that mean if you're using it to create something, content or whatever, you should say you created it through AI? Should we put it out there that uh, this was created? I, there's a lot of debate on this right now, and that's one of the things we're updating it with the okay. PR Council's guide, but it is my personal belief that right now, because of the ability of the concerns around it, you need to disclose. You never go wrong disclosing. I'm it's agreeing like with you. With an influencer, I, right? Right. I, totally so it, I mean, it's, I mean, we're adding into our contracts. We're looking at some stuff and talking about, you know, when we're using AI, make sure you disclose, um, you know, that it, AI was used for these purposes. So people are aware of it, you know, when it's disclosed each and every time or at the start of the engagement, make sure you kind of make it clear there. You know, what I will say as an agency person, is if you need to make sure your subcontractors are telling you if they're using AI, because if your subcontractors end up using copyrighted material and you don't know that, that gets to be an issue from the AI point of view. You don't want to be the one bearing the brunt of the discovery there. So that gets into whole indemnification clauses and a bunch of other stuff. But in the end, disclose. You know, maybe down the road we won't be. But, you know, it's people say, well, you don't disclose when you're using Grammarly. It, it's a different thing. You know, generative AI versus improving your writing are two very, very different things. And that's why I think just disclose and you'll be safe. No, I agree with you. They're totally different things. I tell my students to use Grammarly. That's fine. I don't want I don't want, them, I don't want them using AI to write the pitch letter that they needed to write. That's They need to learn how to write a pitch letter and what makes a good pitch letter. And you're right, maybe it can improve it, but that's also what I had there to help them do. So, um... And AI is going to give you the, generally, the general consensus. So what it's going to do is write a really good average pitch letter. It's not going to write a great one or an outstanding one. You know, I mean, but mind you, there's things I'll use. I'll use AI to say, here's my pitch letter. One of the like, and I put the AI in the position of a seasoned reporter who's skeptical and jaded in this industry for 30 years. One of the likely objections you're going to see to this pitch. 
and I'll have her think about that so I can refine my pitch letter to address them in advance. You know, th- there's ways you can use it to help improve what we're doing. And that's ethically, using it ethically, responsibly way to use it, right, as versus irresponsibly. I believe so, yes. Yeah, no, I, I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying, what else should we think about? And again, it, it's all about people don't really understand this, so it's a new toy, and how do we make sure it's being used right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you want to think about overall. I mean, I touched on a few of these. I talked about trans creation right. and sourcing claims and transparency. I mean, I think those are the major and don't elements take, that you have. And it sounds like what you told me before, don't take what it tells you at face value. You need to almost go back and fact check it to make sure what it tells but, you is correct. It, correct. But that's something we do already with, you know, any claims that are made. If you look at something from Google, you double check it to see is it really accurate or not. You should, so, but I mean, a lot it, of people don't. <laughs> Yeah, the same thing is going to happen. I mean, and I tell folks if you're using AI, if you're using generative AI, it's like you're using Google. It's like using an encyclopedia for a doorstop. You're actually not getting its full functionality. There's a whole bunch more ways to leverage it and engage it. And that the only way to do that is by learning and trying it. Um, you know, when it comes to content, when it comes to graphics, when it comes to audio, there's just so many things that are going to be evolving. And I mean, I think I last checked, there's about 120 plus AI tools that I know of, and I know it's more than that. There's more than a thousand wow. different plugins for ChatGPT. But the one thing I will say that is if two people haven't played with temperature settings of AI, and more importantly, if you haven't played with the advanced data analytics module in ChatGPT, you are completely missing the, what it can do. The advanced data analytics model changes the game as profoundly as ChatGPT changed the game. It enables you to update data and spreadsheets and have it do analysis of the content and have it look at things and, you know, much more so on what you put in. And it worked about as good as a junior data scientist. And I think there's a, that's where you're going to start seeing a lot of elements when it starts really digging into complex data and identifying trends or gaps. It's things like that. And again, it's totally ethical to do that, but also realize the data you're putting in is being used to train the system. And we have to be so careful not to train the system. Well, you can train the system. Absolutely. I train the system all the time. You just can't train the system with confidential and proprietary information. Okay. So people need to be very aware of what they're putting into it. Exactly. And we need to train our account execs to know that. Yes. I, absolutely. You, you and I think about things with a very seasoned thought process. And I think, you know, it, we have to help people understand that as they go through. Because this is a generation that's used to technology that we weren't. We thought about things differently. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's and they may be finding some uses of it that we're not thinking about. That's why, just like anything else, with the web and with social, we're learning from everybody. Anybody who tells you they're an AI expert is being disingenuous. We're all still learning. There's some folks that have been doing it for a lot longer and understand it better. But you know, from a comms AI point of view, we're all still figuring things out. But you see it as a positive. I see it as an absolute, I'm, well, I see it as a positive, but I say this is where I am completely dysfunctional, that I am, go from a tech utopian in terms of the power of AI to do our jobs better, it makes society better, to tech dystopian when it comes to its use for fraud and the chilling effect it may have on our civil discourse as people realize that every single thing they see in video and audio is so easily manipulated. And that that's the stuff that scares the crap out of me. Because then it'll be 
in my opinion, I am scared. You know, who do you trust? Do you trust no one or do you trust everything? And then you're trusting the wrong thing. So trust is what, to me, is the key here. It is. And, you know, that gets back to how do you build up trust? And, I mean, the fundamentals are still there. But I still remember there was the fake AI image of the Pentagon being blown up with a bomb outside the Pentagon that was used by a bunch of wire services. I trust the wire service. They got taken in by a bad deep fake. Um, you know, and it got corrected pretty quickly afterwards, but the stock market still went down 24 basis points. You know, there was an impact there. Um, you know, I tell a lot of folks, one of my concerns is, you know, when you go back and you think about George Floyd and the horrible murder of George Floyd, and the reason I think it was so powerful for so many people was you could see the lack of humanity and caring in the officer's eyes. Absolutely. And I just get concerned with deep fake. There's going to be 40 videos showing the same thing, but having things in George Floyd's hand, having other things going on, and they're going to be pushed out immediately, and who's going to know what's going to happen? And that's where I'm really concerned about just we're going to stop the, the civil discourse of, oh, that's all fake and that's all made up. And in some cases, they'll be right. I hate to say that's where we have to end this because um, we're out of time <laughs> because it's not a happy ending. But um... well, well, let's put it this way. You are going to become more effective. It is going to take your skills and the AI is going to make your skills better. So find ways to use it that makes you a better PR pro. And that's a much better place to end this month. <laughs> Mark, thanks right. so much for being here today. I so appreciate it. I've learned so much. My talking pleasure. To you. That's Let's Bye. Talk PR and more for today. You can find more information about the show and about me at Goldman Communications Group's website, www.goldmanpr.net. And if you want to hear the show again, you can listen to the podcast, which is posted on Goldman Communications Group's website, as well as on all your favorite podcast sites, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. Thank you again for listening. I look forward to talking to PR and more with you all again next week.